This morning I'm going to ask if we'll turn in our Bibles to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. I will just mention before we read Psalm 62 and Psalm 61 are very, very close in theme together. It's also, I think it's a very good thing for us to read those two Psalms together uh, because one speaks of the other, so to speak. But this morning we're just going to read Psalm 62, though I would recommend that at some point you go back and read Psalm 61 with it. Psalm 62, a Psalm of David. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you. As a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God hath spoken once, twice, have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. This morning I want us to think particularly on the words that are given to us in verse 8. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. I want us to think this morning on what I am entitling God is a refuge. And before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us and bless his word. Lord, now we come to the time that you have us looking into your word. We do pray now that you will allow that word to grip our hearts through the power of the Spirit of God. And we pray that you will feed us this day from the bread of life, from the word of God, that which speaks of our Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will then bless, capture our minds, guide our hearts, lead us on with thyself, we pray. Help me now as thy servant, I would ask. Allow the strength of the Lord to be the portion for my own heart. We pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.
As we begin this morning, I want to read the verse that we are looking at with the meaning of the verse being stressed. And so I will repeat the text, but I will paraphrase it. The text that we have at hand might be offered this way. Trust in him, meaning the Lord, at every time, ye people that are his. Pour out all your heart before him, because God is a refuge for us. Now, deeply consider him in the light of this truth. You say, I didn't see that last phrase. Where, where did you get that one? That's the word selah. That's what selah would mean. Now consider him in the light of this truth. Now, I might ask the question to start. How many instructions do we have in this verse? Well, there are two. We are to trust in him at every kind of time that we are going through. Good times, hard times, bad times, trying times, discouraging times, confusing times, whatever. All those different things that you might be able to describe as a day that you're going through. You're to trust in the Lord at that time. We are to wait for our God to help us and lead us in the way that we are to go. That's the point. You're to trust in him. You're to wait for him. You're to look to him. Now I'm going to ask a simple question. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? We can say, well, of course, it's a good thing. But my question would be, what are you to think about that will help you then to trust and fulfill that good thing? Well, the answer to that comes in just a moment. Second, we are instructed to pour out all our hearts to the Lord. Now, this is a wonderful instruction. When you open your heart honestly and fully to the Lord, such a breathing out of all that is bottled up inside will make you to be able to receive what the Lord wants to put back into your heart, whether it's as a thought or as a correction. And all I can say is, oh, that we were a people that was in the daily habit of pouring out our hearts to the Lord Jesus. How different things would be for us if we would just pour out our hearts to Christ. But I come back to my other question. What helps you to trust and to pour out your heart? Is this something that you can do because you are naturally a good seeker of the Lord? Well, the answer to that is no. So, None of us are in that position. So what's the answer? What helps me? Well, I'm going to paraphrase another scripture, one that was offered by the Lord Jesus in John chapter 17 and verse 17. And we will see the answer to our question. That verse says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Now, I want to paraphrase. That really means set apart for your use and glory your people through the truth. Your word is truth. So here's the point. God tells us the truth about ourselves, but more importantly, he tells us the truth about himself. He tells us who he is. He tells us what he does. He tells us what we have in him. He tells us about himself. And that truth, who and what God is, to us does a work in us. 
It brings us to the place where we are ready to be used and glorify the Lord. There is the point of John 17, 17. So, in Psalm 62, verse 8, we are told that we are helped to trust and to pour out our hearts when we really understand and believe that God is a refuge for us. In fact, the Lord emphasizes this by adding the word Selah, the instruction to stop and consider this. Don't go any further in your thinking of this. You stop, you think, you can trust and you can pour out your heart when you in your mind understand because the Lord's my refuge. Because he is this to me. Because he makes himself to be known to me in this way. Well, this week, I, I'm not going to revert back to next or last week's message, but we have here what I found to be a Sela moment. Um, perhaps those of you that were here last week will remember what I mean by that. It's a time when you're reading through something and you hear this word seal and the Lord does arrest you and makes you to stop and to think and to consider and to dwell on this for a moment. Well, I had a seal moment as I was reading through this and I really started to think about what was being said. Again, God is a refuge. And as I was thinking, I was struck with the, with the following. You know, it's easy for us to believe that God is our helper. It is a blessing to think that God is our Savior, that he has saved us. It is also a great blessing to know that he hears when I pray and can solve all the issues that face me. But even in all of those thoughts, I still find that I can feel that there is some issue that prevents me from completely resting and have a sense that all is truly well. Yes, God is all these wonderful things, but I still have this pang of doubt or this pang of insecurity about God. And I can feel that I come short of really rejoicing in the Lord. Now, let me say this. If I say this about me, I say this about you too because what I'm describing is common to all. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. This kind of feeling, I wonder if I'm really in the place where I know that the Lord is for me, where the Lord is blessing me, where I'm kept in the hollow of his hand. I, really, I, under, I believe all these wonderful things and I see that he is all these things, but am I really in that place where all is well? Now, my mind conjured up an illustration at this point. I have to say, I thought of this illustration because I thought we may have little ones, many little ones, that this might relate to. But since we're all youthful in our hearts, I think we can go with this. If you can imagine a troubled man in danger who comes up to the gate of a castle. Well, you have to project yourself back a bit in history. He comes up to the gate of a castle. His enemies are chasing him and not very far behind. And the enemy completely means to destroy him. So he's got things that are against him that are chasing him down. 
So here he comes to the gate of the castle, and to his comfort, he hears words from within the castle say, Come in, and you will be safe. The door is open for you. Well, we say, yes, that would be an answer, wouldn't it, to his dilemma. What a relief. What an answer. But wait, the man outside says as he stops short of the door. He has a moment of contemplation. After all that I have done, he says, how can I expect to be hidden within? It would be presumptuous for me to enter the door of the castle. I am so unworthy. I know the master of the castle is good and full of compassion, but I am guilty of so many things. I cannot but doubt that I will ever know rest from being inside the castle. And he lingers outside where he feels himself only part way safe. So why do I offer this illustration? Again, because this dilemma, this issue, this doubt is so common for us to feel just that way. It is not uncommon for us to feel so unsettled and unrested in our hearts that this is a dilemma that we face. We think that there may be something that's in the way from God really, I mean really stepping out and drawing me in to the place of joy. We doubt whether help will be ours sometimes. We doubt whether the Lord will ever bless us sometimes. We can even doubt whether we will ever know the outpouring of the love of the Lord because we are so filled with self and failure. I am a failure! So how, how can he be pleased with me when I fail so often? So you say, well, so what's the, what's, what's the thought that gripped you? You said you had a Selah moment. What's the thought that gripped you? Well, it's this. When the Lord saves, he never leaves any of us outside. This whole picture that I've been painting is a misperception. It is a complete delusion. It is a lie of the devil. A man coming up to the outside of the gate. It's completely false. That's not the way it is at all. We are only ever and forever inside. We are inside. Well, you may say, well, inside what? Inside the Lord. I don't get it. Oh, think for a moment. The scripture says he is our refuge. You can't be a refuge if you can't get inside, so to speak. When you are saved, you are placed inside. You are in union with the Lord Jesus. You are one with him. You are not outside. You are not exposed to danger. You are not outside the place of his blessing. You are not outside the place of his joyfulness over your salvation. You're not outside of these things. You are in the person of the Lord Jesus. To have thoughts of the unworthy is to either be ignorant of the true fullness of the gospel or it is to be so focused on self that falsehood has darkened the mind. So what I have as my subject today is simply this small very powerful truth. And that is this, that God in his person is and will always be a place of safety to every saint. 
Now, I want to think about that very simply. I'm going to answer three questions. The first of it, the first is this. What is a refuge? What is a refuge? Well, you might say, that's easy. A refuge is a castle. That's, what, that's the picture, isn't it? I mean, he will be a refuge. So it's got to be a castle. Well, let me say this. That's true only if the castle can down. So let me just define it. Let me just adjust our thinking a bit. A refuge is a place where you can remain as long as you need and no harm can reach you. That's it. You can stay there as long as you need to stay or even want to stay and no harm can reach you. There is the force of it. No harm is able to touch you at all. Now I'm going to offer a couple of pictures of what I'm saying, and these are just from the scripture of what I'm trying to illustrate and what I'm trying to teach. The first is you have the picture in scripture of the ark. Think about it. You should be able to think about it much more clearly today, having just visited it. Um, We'll have to talk, talk about that later. But what was the truth? All inside the ark were utterly safe. They were the blessed of the Lord. They were the provided for by the Lord. They were the protected of the Lord. They were the loved of the Lord. You couldn't be more blessed than they were. They were inside the ark. They could not be touched by the fierceness of the judgment on sin that was happening outside. Now, I will say this. It may have been very possible that though they were inside, they may have been well aware of what was going on outside. Perhaps they could hear. But they could not be touched, and they could not be harmed. They were utterly safe. Now, the point is, the ark is a type of the Lord Jesus. The whole of the picture of the ark is to teach us of what we have in the person of the Lord Jesus. All in Christ can never be subject to harm. That is the force of the words of Romans 8, verse 1. There is, therefore, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I'm one with Christ by the power of God, the mystic union of the church with Jesus Christ, the oneness, the unity that I have with the Lord Jesus. I am in Christ. I'm not outside. I'm inside. Oh, here's a great gospel truth. There's a union with Christ and his church. The Lord Jesus uses another picture himself in John chapter 10 when he talks about the hand of the Father. There's another image. John 10, 29. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We are in the hand of God. And there can be no bending open of the fingers of God Almighty. We are safe within the hand of God. No one can pluck us out. We are one with Christ. But there's another picture that is offered in Scripture. And that perhaps you remember the cities of refuge. The Old Testament speaks of these. There were six. Here a man could go if he was being chased by the avenger. And stay as long as he needed in safety. He was inside. 
So my point is this. We are never separated from the Lord Jesus. We are never outside at a distance from the Lord and exposed to the harms that come with sin. The will of the Lord Jesus is that we be preserved without harm. You say, really? How do you know? John 17, verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Verse 21. That they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. We're spared from the harm. Well, I can just imagine somebody bring up, but wait a minute, brother. Hold on, hold on. Doesn't sin leave scars? Yes. But only if that's in the plan of a loving father to bring us back to himself. It's not outside the hand of God. It's not outside the purpose of God. The Lord sometimes allows us to see what our sin does to us to remind us of what waywardness really does to us. To keep us in line, to bring us to the place where we might be able to rest in Him. Those are not proofs that we're outside of the hand of God. Quite the opposite. We are ever in a refuge. So, that being the thought, if we're in this position, then I can trust in Him at all times and I can pour out my heart to Him because He is my refuge. Well, brings me to my second thought. Why should I know this? Why should I know this? Well, I'm just going to present three things. First, as a reason why you ought to know this or keep your mind on this, the unworthy man, the man that we were describing who was standing outside the gate, which may be representative of all of us at some point or other, the unworthy man who feels he is not close to the Savior will never rest in his heart, but be plagued with all kinds of doubts and fears. Or I'll put it a different way. The heart that is consumed with the reason why the Lord cannot bless is that heart that's fixed on himself. And he will fail to look to Christ. So what are you saying? You cannot in your life not look, be looking to Christ and find yourself healthy in a spiritual way. You can't do that. We must understand where we are in Christ. We must understand our position with the Lord. I had a brother who just recently passed away who used to, it seemed like in the days when I knew him, every message was a, doc, a doctrinal message on the subject of justification. Why did he do that? Because it's such a primary thing for us to understand how we are made righteous in the sight of God, completely holy. We wear the righteousness of Christ, not righteousness of our own, not righteousness like Christ's, but we wear his own righteousness. And God has imputed to Christ Jesus all of our filth and all of our unrighteousness and all of our sins, and he has borne them away so that I am now without sin. That is a fundamental doctrine that is foundational if we're going to go on well with the Lord. I need to know these things. I need to know that God is my refuge. It's a foundational thing. Second, the unworthy man who looks at himself and does not rest in the ways in which the Lord has worked for him will eventually come to suspect God. I think maybe some of us know this. We've gone through this. We've had to confess this. It's as if we sometimes say, I've done this right thing. Yeah, the scripture said I was put. And I've tried 
to be that thing that I know that is in the scripture, but nothing seems to work. I'm still miserable. And then there begins to come this question. Where's the good in the promises of God? I've I've tried, but and the Lord has promised this, and I haven't really seen it, so uh, what is that? What is that? When a man gets to the place in his heart saying that, what is that? It is, I say, a great evil because it is suspecting God of being untruthful or not in line with what he says he is in the scripture. It is an accusation against the Lord. When we don't know who our God is, the devil will use that ignorance to try to cause us to, in fact, suspect God. And the third thing, why? Because the unworthy man, the man who's dwelling on his outsideness, it's not a word, but I'm making it up as a word, he's dwelling on his outsideness with God, will be a man robbed of any joy and fruitfulness. Let me ask you this. This is a, let's see if you can figure an answer for me. And if you would, would you please let me know. What motivates the defeated man? I'd like to know the answer. What motivates a defeated man? Let me say, the answer is, in my mind, nothing good. If you're defeated and you're seeing yourself as the man outside of the blessings and the helps and the care of God because of something. doesn't matter what it is. You're a defeated man and what's motivating your heart is nothing good. You need to keep your minds on the truth of who God is. God is a refuge. So, my last thought. What can I then conclude? What can I then conclude? Well, I will conclude what David concludes. And we have it in our text presented here. He says, I can pour a trust and pour out my heart to my God because he is a refuge that is utterly trustworthy. Trust in him at all times. If God is my refuge, and I make a statement like that, that's indicating I conclude that God is utterly trustworthy. Now may I say it this way, a refuge is no refuge if it cannot be trusted to protect. I'm just going to prove my thought here by offering a very well-known couple of verses. But don't you see if it doesn't say what I'm saying. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is utterly trustworthy. There is nothing that can make him untrustworthy, that can make him unfaithful, that can make him not to do as he says. He will be, to me, completely trustworthy. I have a refuge that I can place every bit of the trust of my heart and know that it is well-founded. Second, I can conclude 
that I can trust and pour out my heart to my God because as a refuge, he is utterly able. He's utterly trustworthy, but he's also utterly able. I can find him to enable me to rest and to calm all my fears and issues, all the things that I would bring to him, that I would pour out to him. He is able to do with those things what needs to be done, but more importantly, he's able to do in my own heart what needs to be done in me to make me to be able to rest. He is able. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Yes. He is utterly able to keep me in perfect peace. The peace of knowing and enjoying the truth I am on the inside of the refuge. And then third, I can trust and pour out my heart to my God because as a refuge he is utterly involved. If the enemy is going to attack a castle, how involved is the walls of the castle? See, this is, that's a crazy thought. What? No, understand. All that is related to me, my God is involved with. All that has to do with me is as close to the heart of God as is possible to be. All my matters, all my concerns, all of my needs, everything that has to do with me is as close to the heart of God as it can possibly get because I am in the Lord Jesus. I am in my refuge and he is completely given to caring for and loving me. Really? That's a hard one to believe. We sometimes don't, we, we don't feel that, so we don't believe it. But doesn't he say in the word of God, First Peter 5 and 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you? Well, there's the truth. The Lord Jesus is a refuge for us. He is a refuge for us, therefore we can trust in him at all times. And we can come and pour out all our heart. You ever find that sometimes when you get praying, you feel like, well, I really don't know that I can pray that. Because that would be something to admit. Or There's some reservation in us sometimes as we pray. If we're truly understanding who we are in the Lord Jesus, there would be no reservations in prayer. It would be just to pour all that's in the heart out. The Lord might minister to us. The Spirit of God might come to us and allow the truth of the Word of God to be applied to us. So my final application is simply this. Are you in the refuge? There's the point. Are you in the refuge? Have you come to the door and asked to come in? Well, who's the door? It's the Lord Jesus. Number two, if you are in the refuge, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus, will he ever cast you out? Will he ever open the door and say, no, you, no, you have to go out of the refuge now? But we're learning a verse. hope we are learning a verse. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and in, in him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. No. When you're in the refuge, Christ Jesus, you're never cast out. Then third, and this is the last point, knowing these things, 
what should we do? Knowing that the Lord is our refuge, what should we do? Now the answer is, trust and pour out. Trust and pour out. A simple image, but one that is so profound in its application that it can change our whole perspective and it change our whole heart and mind if we will find ourselves resting there. Well, may the Lord be pleased to allow us to see that. Let's all pray. Our Father and our God, we pray again today that you'll bless the word of God. We pray that you'll let it be that which is to us truly the word of the Lord to our hearts. I pray that you will allow us to think on the things that you tell us to think on and find ourselves being able to do the things that you say we can do if we do but think. Lord, bless now. Bless the word. Bless our hearts. Keep us close to Christ as we walk through this thy day, we pray. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you.